The Athletic. Is financial fair play world football's attempt at financial self-regulation creating an unfair playing field? How are FFP rules affecting the recruitment policy at clubs across Europe? And what are the loopholes being jumped through to gain a competitive advantage during the current transfer window? The vast majority of the spending comes, and this is not going to be a surprise, from the Premier League. I'm Mark Chapman. This is the Athletic Football Podcast. We've got some big breaking transfer news right now. Chelsea just announced that they have completed the signing of Mikhailo Mudrik. The Ukrainian has signed for what we believe to be a fee uh, that could rise up to £88.5 million. Right now, Arsenal have signed Leandro Trossard, a deal worth £27 million. We do have breaking news. It's the story we've been talking about at the top of the show. And West Ham, we are told, have now completed the transfer of Aston Villa striker Danny Ings. We are told the fee uh, is £15 million for Danny Ings. Cody Hakpo will join Liverpool in the new year. A deal of more than £35 million has been agreed with PSV Eindhoven. Right, so, financial fair play. That's what we're going to say. Don't hit the pause button or the stop button, right? Matt Slater and Dan Sheldon from The Athletic are here. Both have written plenty on FFP club ownership and transfers. We're going to make this sing, aren't we, Dan? Try to. We're going to try to. Matt will do a better job than I will. <laughs> Matt, you're going to make this sing? <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. I'm not singing. Look, if you go onto the Athletic website, type FFP in the search tab, there are a huge range of articles where FFP is either the main theme or at least plays a part in the story. So stories around ownership, recruitment, direction at clubs, transfers, player contracts. You, you could pick out Leicester, Juve, Fulham, Barcelona, Paris Saint-Germain. There probably isn't a club that this doesn't affect. And you can go down, if you're looking just within England, Matt, you can go down the leagues for this. Yeah, you, you certainly can. So I would argue that financial fair play hasn't been a particularly big issue um, for the big clubs in the Premier League for a while. Broadly speaking, financial fair play is about 10 years old, maybe a bit bit longer than that. And there were sort of kind of two strands to it. UEFA were got very alarmed at the sort of late noughties about the number of clubs that uh, owed their tax authorities huge amounts of money. And there were, you know, various clubs sort of teetering on the brink all over the continent, to be honest. And it was this this sort of huge debt to the public authorities that was frankly embarrassing. So UEFA under Michel Platini started to sort of think about salary caps, soft salary caps, because salary caps, we often talk about, you know, comparisons with North American sport, are very controversial here because of the European Union and competition and just totally different tradition. And, you know, we're just starting from different places. So a soft, soft salary cap. So a way of sort of encouraging teams to spend within their means and how you do that. So you sort of tie spending, your ability to go out and buy players and pay them whatever you want to pay them to your revenue. Right. Pretty simple, right? 
spend what you've got coming in and hopefully it all adds up and evens out and we've got sustainable businesses. So that was sort of European FFP and their key concept was this was this break even rule. PSG, Man City, we've been around the houses, it's been sort of 10 years of these cases. Do you break even, yes or no? And is the amount of money you're bringing in legitimate? Are you being honest about the amounts you're spending? And then with this sort of a uh, little bit of kind of a safety net where you allow you have some allowable losses and that was phased in. So we're going to let teams lose a little bit of money as long as it's backed up by equity, i.e. the owners are good for it and putting it in. And you know, and that's that's broadly speaking worked. Oh God, that's another massive debate about how how it's worked and whether it's worked in the right way. But it's course of worked. Now the Premier League rules broadly similar. Again, that kind of break even concept. The impetus there was really the embarrassment of Portsmouth. You know, a club, a Premier League club, should never go into administration. Portsmouth did. It went you know it went bust, and that was that was deeply embarrassing to the world's most successful blah 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 league. So they sort of brought in FFP rules of their own. As I said, they're kind of related to the UEFA ones with a much bigger safety net. So really, the Premier League rules have come in, and no other club has got anywhere near breaking that, and it hasn't really been an issue. It's only really been an issue in, Euro- in the European context because that allowable loss was so much tighter. But again, no Premier League clubs have ever really got close to it. We've you know, we've had some big big cases. Man City obviously is the, is the most famous one, but that was really more about the source of their revenue as opposed to, are you close to this number, yes or no? It was about the source of the revenue. So, so we've had that. They're all changing. I can't stick all that into, into this answer, but that's, that's, that's where we've been. And I suppose the other thing I probably should add is FFP has been very significant in the English Football League. So their rules, again, like the UEFA rules, the break-even concept, but with a with a, a an allowable loss much tighter, much closer to that sort of European thing. So just you know, without throwing too many numbers out there, you could lose thirty-nine million pounds over three years, thirteen million pounds a year. Now lots of clubs have failed that, have breached that limit, and have lost points. Been a factor in the FL, been a factor for. Many clubs, several clubs in, in on the continent, in Europe, because you need to pass the rules to play in European club competitions, hasn't really been an issue in the Premier League at all. If you sort of unpick some of that, Dan, from, from that, not only are rules different depending on competitions, and we, we you could both talk domestically and European-wide, different clubs read the rules differently as well. Without doubt. I mean, especially at the, the top end of the Premier League, you've got clubs that will be relying on some of the best lawyers around to advise them on what they can do, what they can't do, where are the loopholes in the in the rules that they could potentially exploit. I think all you have to do is just look at the, the contracts Chelsea have been handing out, you know, that, that goes back to the summer with the deals they gave to Fafana and Kukurea, which were long at the time, but no one really talked about it then. But then January comes around. And they're handing out kind of eight and a half year deals to, to Mudrick and all of a sudden people get talking about that. And that's just Chelsea looking at a loophole and thinking, well, let's exploit that and let's kick these numbers down the road and like amortise all of this money over eight years rather than, than five. Now, that that is all with, with FFP in mind. You know, UEFA have obviously been quite quick to that because clubs have been moaning about it and they're going to close that loophole. But that just goes to show you that clubs are trying to seek any kind of competitive marginal gain through any kind of loophole that, that may exist. Because that appears to be the hot topic at the moment, Chelsea and the, and the long contracts, Dan has spoken, Matt, there about UEFA trying to change that loophole. So that, if UEFA are doing that, 
that would only affect a club if they qualify for a UEFA competition, wouldn't it? Correct. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look, I should probably explain because we sort of we've I think we've skipped a bit. So my first answer, I sort of did the history of FFP. We need to say that UEFA's rules have changed significantly. So they changed last year. So we had ten years of old of old FFP. This this break even concept. Now because of COVID. Uh, which put a real strain on the sort of football industry. UEFA Premier League, they all had to relax their FFP rules, uh, make you know, make make understandable allowances for the fact that clubs were playing behind closed doors and TV contracts there were rebates and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, right. So FFP became very confusing for a few years. So you had right. We got to, we got to look at it again. I think also there was a sense that we have to look at it again because UEFA had lost a couple of really big cases, the Man City case, and and that sort of caused the rest of the industry to go. You know, what's the point with these rules? Do you have any teeth or not? And I think also there was probably a third pressure, which was from from clubs, challenger type clubs like Man City and PSG and you know any, any or Chelsea under new ownership, saying, well, look, you know, we have money. Why can't we spend it? Why can't we spend our money? We're good for it. You know, we're good for it on making the product better. So they wanted a bit more flexibility on that kind of how much can we lose every year element. UEFA, almost like the quid pro quo, was like, all right, we'll let you lose a bit more money, but we're also going to sort of maintain that concept of sustainability. We're going to sort of double down on that. We want you to be that soft salary cap idea. So they've come up with this new idea, genuinely new, genuinely interesting, and this is why I think it's become a good conversation again, and this is why we get to the Chelsea loophole. They've added this element called the squad cost control rule. The idea here is to limit the amount of money clubs can spend on putting the team on the pitch. So this is about your player wages, what you pay your manager and the coaching staff, your transfer fees, and anything you pay to agents. So really, the money you spend on the team. Okay, we're going to say that you can spend only 70% of your total revenue, everything you bring in, on that, on the products on the pitch. We'll let you take off uh, from the top bit of the equation, if you like, all the bad bits, the wages and the transfer fees. We'll let you take off any profit you make on player sales. So that comes off the numerator. The denominator is that is that big, taking you back to school here, is the big revenue number. Now, the idea is 70%. And we're, but they're also going to say, we're going to give you a few years to get there. So next season, it's 90. The following season, it's 80. It's only 70%. That limit, which I think will be challenging, genuinely challenging. A lot of clubs are breaching it at the moment for the 2025-2026 season. This year's a free hit. It's 100%. Next year's 90, which I think will be interesting for some clubs. 80, 70. So that's the thing to have in your mind. And that is why every single club, every single big club, I would argue for the first time in a few years, including all the Premier League clubs that have not really worried about it, are right now doing a massive FFP compliance process. And they are inviting consultants in. They're having chats with UEFA. How close are we? Right, okay, we've got to get there in a few years' time. Hmm, let's have a look at the rule book. Right, so amortization. Amortization, we should have a little chat about that. So amortization is just an accounting practice. It's how you write down the cost of buying an asset. So in a football context, your asset, your players. So how do you write that in your accounts? How do you write down paying £30 million for a player? Well, you do it over the course of their contract. Is that weird? No, think about it. At the end of a contract, the asset's worth nothing. Bosman, go away for free, right? So you do it in a straight line basis. Your amortization cost is 10 million a year, three-year contracts. 10, 10, 10 equals 30. But the other half of that is how you put it down as an asset in your books. The asset depreciates 
amortizes by 10 every year. So the player is worth 30 million when you buy him, 20 million after year one, 10 million after year two, zero, again, getting to that, going to zero, amortizing to zero. So that's the idea, you, you, you know, your you transfer costs for FFP bases are your amortization costs, your annual amortization cost. Now, to go to Dan's point, the Chelsea trick, if you like, is to buy a 50 million pound player, or I'll try to do the sums easier, a 100 million pound, an 80 million pound player, 80 million pound player, and ordinarily give them a three year, four year contract, let's say four year contract, that's a 20 million charge every year. I'm gonna give him an eight year contract, that's a 10 million charge. You've halved your amortization bill for that player. Two other things on that then, right? That's a, that's a great explanation. Two other things on that. These new rules that are coming in to eventually get to 70% of revenue, on your mm. on what you put mm -hmm. on the pitch, you can offset player sales against that. Yeah, mm -hmm. correct. Any owner investment allowed on that? Not on the squad cost rule. So at the same time as as carrying on with uh, at the same time as bringing this new squad cost thing, which I think is genuinely interesting, and I think mm. will be a conversation for the next few years, they're carrying on with that old break even rule, but they're actually relaxing it. So instead of being able to lose 30 million euros over three years, so effectively 10 million euros a year, they're doubling it, saying, guys, you can use 60 million, 20 million euros a season. And here's the here's the nice bit. They're actually saying, if, you are, if your balance sheet is positive, so you know, you've got a nice stadium and a training ground and you've got lots of players and you're positive, you know, you, you, you're, you're in a net positive position on your balance sheet, we're gonna, we're gonna reward you. You can lose 90 million over three years. Now that's, they've basically almost taken the break even element out of the, out of the equation. Only for really kind of flagrant basket case type clubs. I can't really see any Premier League clubs failing that. The squad cost control rule is going to be a factor. Okay. And then the second point goes back to how we, st how we started this whole answer. If I am, let me pick a deliberately well-run club, so I'm not casting any aspersions. <laughs> if, if I'm Brighton, okay? Yep. And I go berserk and, you know, spend 90% of revenue for the next decade, every, every year for the next decade, 90% of revenue on what's going on the pitch. But I never get into the Europa League or the, or the Champions League. So what? Because this is a UEFA rule, not a Premier League rule. Correct. Come eighth every year. Win the FA Cup. No, well, that gets you to Europe, yeah. isn't it? Uh, yeah, come eighth every year. <laughs> right. Losing the final. Yeah. Right. So, which which highlights the whole issue of different organisations with different rules and when they come into force on your club and when they don't. Yes, it does. What I the other point that Matt made there, Dan, consultants coming in, a whole variety of of, of experts coming into clubs to to advise them and help them. I can remember talking to Wada once about uh, uh, drugs in sport and drug testing. And they said because of the money available to teams in a variety of sports, they'll always be one step ahead of Wada because the funding and the science was, was greater within the areas of people who wanted to cheat than the people trying to stop the cheating. Given the money at a lot of clubs you would imagine that financial experts and lawyers will do all they possibly can maybe to tie the organisations in knots around these rules. That's always been the thing, right? And I think Matt's kind of written about that extensively in the past where if, if a club runs into trouble, they, they are more than happy to tie these organisations up just in long, drawn-out legal cases because we're happy to pay our lawyers, you know, whatever it costs just to keep you busy, to keep you distracted, 
keep on kicking this can down the road. Let's go back to Chelsea and that hot topic of what they've done. Well, that loophole's being closed. But to think clubs aren't already thinking about another way to now exploit these rules. How can we now look at it? To think they're not doing that already would be naive. I mean, I think, you know, as soon as one loophole closes, there's going to be a team of lawyers, legal experts, financial experts looking at what's another way around this? What can we do next? In Matt's piece about Manchester United and, and their kind of relationship with F- with FFP at the moment, he talks about United bringing in consultants just to kind of get an idea of what can we do? What are we doing? What do we need to be doing? You know, and that's going to be going on across Europe, you'd imagine, looking like Spain, Real Madrid, Barcelona, France with PSG, you'd like to think they're all doing exactly the same, right? It's not just a, a Premier League thing, you know, it's UEFA for competition. So let's be honest, these clubs have a lot more money and a lot more resources at, at the top end and they will be doing everything they can to kind of keep the status quo in order and kick this can down the road if, if possible. Where do the Premier League sit in all of this? Because the, the Football League have tried to implement theirs, Matt, haven't they, to, to try and protect a lot of clubs from gambling or, or going bust. UEFA are doing this basically to, to try and protect heritage clubs on the one hand and secondly mm-hmm. to, yeah. to actually to try and limit the power of the Premier League to, to a certain extent so their competitions don't become yeah. Yeah, Premier yeah. League dominated. Where do the Premier League sit and what do the Premier League do? So I suppose let's go back to that break-even concept. So I, I, I explained that, the, the basic philosophy there. The key difference between the UEFA rule was just the amount you can lose. Just get into the number. So it was 30 million euros, so 10 million euros a year for, for UEFA. For the Premier League, 35 million pounds. So um, 105 million pounds over a three-year period. It's always a three-year rolling period. So you can see it's a big difference. Now, the Premier League's point is we don't need to be so prescriptive. We don't need to be so cautious as UEFA because... We, our clubs have this guaranteed broadcast money and we share it more fairly, more evenly than the other leagues do. And we are attracting, a lot of this is sort of, you know, it can sound a bit arrogant, but it's actually kind of borne out by the evidence. We're attracting a different class, different level of wealth. There's our ownership group. They're all good for it. Our clubs will trade, you know, look at look at the clubs, they the, the players they buy, but equally can sell. And they'll just sort of say, well, look, you know, Pre-COVID, I mean, COVID obviously sort of threw everything up into the air a little bit, but pre-COVID, Premier League clubs, they weren't, they weren't like rolling in it. They weren't like making massive profits, but most of them were just about breaking even. Some of them were making, you know, every 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 now and then they'd make, oh, wow, that's a proper profit. I think Liverpool three, four years ago made 100 million quid in profit. I think they had, I think they went something like 30, 130. You know, that's like a ro- incredible sort of three-year run. And, you know, Man City was starting to make regular profits, small profits, but regular profits. And, you know, everyone, everyone struggled in COVID. I suspect we're going to get back to that that stage of, of, of most clubs making small profits or, or small losses. So the Premier League can say, look, we're working. If what UEFA are trying to do is to stop bankruptcies and to stop clubs owing the public purse money, we do that. We do that. We have a licensing system. We're very strict about that. Our clubs are paying their taxes and they're paying each other. They're paying their players. We're hot on that. We don't necessarily have to sort of tell people, rich people, how much money they can lose with their money. So that's the difference. It's a difference in philosophy, but I also do think it's a difference in, in necessity. The Premier League can say, we haven't had a business failure since Portsmouth. We haven't really come close. UEFA obviously has to look at the whole of Europe. Yeah, 
there's 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 red lights on your on your on your desk. So that, that's that's the difference, I think. Would you agree, Dan? It's hard to, to disagree with with anything Matt's just said. And one thing I would kind of point to with the Premier League is even if you look at the January transfer window, how the Premier League still has so much more strength, financial strength than all the other leagues across Europe. Just look at what they're spending. Look at what's being spent in Spain, Italy, France, and then just compare that to the Premier League. You know, it, it's chalk and cheese. I think over four hundred million pound has been spent in the Premier League. This January, yeah, I, okay. I mean, at the time of recording this, so far in this window, the Premier League spent over four hundred million pounds, um, of which Chelsea have probably spent three hundred and ninety-eight million. No, I'm, I'm joking. Uh, but, over ten years, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Premier League have uh, have spent over four hundred million. Bundesliga forty-two million, Serie A eight million, uh, and La Liga twenty-one million, which. If if you want, I'm sure you don't need some context on this, but um, it means Leeds, for example, have spent more on one player than the combined spend of La Liga and Serie A, which is why UEFA and big European clubs, Dan, are concerned because not not that Leeds are doing anything wrong, but their product and their leagues get weaker by every transfer window the more the players arrive in the Premier League. Well, that's why they all sat around and table and, and came up with a Super League, right? It was to, <laughs> to, to get away from... It was to create their own kind of guaranteed revenues that the Premier League seemingly has through its broadcast deals. Those numbers you've just read out are, are startling when you think about it. I mean, that lead spending more than you know two leagues combined it, on one player is it's incredible. And again, just goes to show the Premier League is in a different market when it comes to the transfer windows. If they, if there's a player available, in what world would a player have gone to? Okay, maybe not Leeds, but trying to think of like a, a middling Premier League club over one of the best teams in Italy. It just wouldn't have happened kind of 10, 15 years ago. Well, that happens now because the Premier League is the place to be. It's where all the money is. Is that going to stop? I, I don't think so. You know, but perhaps the broadcast deals are going to stagnate somewhat especially domestically I mean overseas they, they are probably still going to grow but that trend isn't going to slow down anytime soon This is a paid advertisement from Better Health Therapy Online Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses big and small and when we keep them bottled up it can start to affect us negatively Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. The European Super League, this is by no means advocating mm. for it here, uh, Matt. The closed market, here we go with our American sport mm-hmm. chat, which yeah. is always mm-hmm. in. I know, the, yeah. the closed market of the of American sport markets means they, they control everything, you know, salary. So when mm-hmm. we've had salary cap discussions before, 
But you can't have a salary cap in the Premier League if you don't have it in Serie A because you'll just lose players to Serie A, as is the example. The European Super League, which we were told would be a closed market, everybody would abide by the same rules. Well, they wanted wanted quite a strict salary cap. Yeah, they did. Within that league, I'm guessing. No means... That's no means of you know saying it should happen, but that would be one thing that would happen with it. Well, it's one thing they talked about. We never really got a chance to see it, did we? Because it all no. unraveled so quickly. But it was very much part of the sort of DNA, the idea. I mean, Andrea Agnelli, of course, is now former Juve boss. Um, he's got some legal issues to, to contend with, but it was very much he was one of the, the absolute kind of fathers of the, of the Super League, and he talked about this endlessly. How unsustainable the football industry was, you know. He talked about sort of continent-wide issues, and you know, a lot of it was kind of looking at the Premier League and going, "Look, we can't keep up." You know, let's 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 group together us aristocrats and stop losing money. Like this arms race we're in. Let's let's ha- let's have some NFL-style sanity, right, about the amount of money we're spending, and we can all stop losing money. We might even make some money. So that was very much part of the European Super League conversation, and it still comes around. That's why that idea will never really die. And, you know, to go to pick up on sort of Dan's points about where the Premier League is right now and what the others are thinking about it. Covid hurt them all. They didn't hurt them all equally. Premier League came out of it way better than the others. And it was the only one that during Covid actually managed to up their TV deals, significantly up their TV deals. The the domestic deal was the same, Mm. but they got a third more, 33 percent up. They're international deals, and for the it's the only league in any sport anywhere that can say we're getting more money for our international deals than for our domestic deal. That is remarkable. NFL, NBA would 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 well, oh my word, you know yeah. they're making loads of money at home, so it's, it's they're okay. But the idea that people in another country are willing to pay more than your own domestic market, I mean that's just insane. So that's where the Premier League's at. And there are so many different ways we can sort of talk about this. Transfer spend last summer was even was was the same, wasn't it? It was like eighty nine percent of the money spent was Premier League money. Deloitte did their money league list last week, and for the first time, one league provided the majority of the clubs. Eleven out of twenty from the Premier League, sixteen out of thirty out of the top thirty from the Premier League. And there was a little note from one of the authors saying it's almost inevitable that all 20 Premier League clubs will eventually fill the top 30 spots. Wow. That's pretty remarkable. That's that's where the rest of Europe's at right now. From both your experiences, and Dan, you go first, do you think the Premier League clubs will work together on this issue, or is there too much suspicion of each other? I mean, look, fans very much think that maybe their club is doing things properly and, other, and rivals aren't. I mean, that's how, that's how fans work. Is there too much suspicion amongst Premier League clubs about how things are being done at each other's financial levels or will they work together? Do they work together? Well, you'd like to think they'd all sit around and, and work together on this. But then kind of in your question, you hinted they're all at different levels, right? The financial restrictions on Manchester United are going to be completely different for a club like Southampton, for example. They're going to, be, they're going to want two different kinds of things, you'd imagine. They're not all going to want to be there. The same thing, United are thinking about Europe and Southampton are thinking about purely domestic level. So they're going to want more evenness in the Premier League, whereas United have got to think about, well, we want to win European titles, so we need a bit more kind of money to spend. I think, you know, those discussions around the Super League, you know, that, that stung and I think that broke a lot of relationships. And you know, I, I know a lot of those people have, have changed now and there's different people sat around the table from some of those clubs at, at these Premier League meetings. So I imagine the bridges are being 
rebuilt. And if they're going to want to kind of protect the Premier League and its interests, they are going to have to form a consensus, right? You need at least 14 clubs to vote to vote anything through. And it would make sense for those top six, the, the Super League sides, to engage in that because you don't want, you know, the Premier League loves to have like unanimity, right? It wants votes to sail through. It doesn't want one or two voting against it. It wants unanimity across the board. So they're going to have to work together, whether they like it or not. And you know, there's already been talk and, you know, extensive reports about new kind of possible tweaks to the, the Premier League's financial rules and how they end up looking, you know, remains to be seen. But it's certainly going to be an interesting topic that will continue to kind of rumble on over the coming months. Does the recent arrival of wealth funds, investment funds, hedge funds, not only in not only in football clubs, but actually in owning competitions and investing in competitions. I've seen it in other sports. It could very well come in, in football. It might already have in, in, in some areas. Does that complicate matters further, Matt? Do they, do they Because they presumably want slightly different things out of what they invest in than, say, the local businessman who puts money into a club he loves. It certainly complicates things from a kind of general governance perspective point of view and I think one of the big stories and we've done we've done a few pods and pieces on it in the past and we about this kind of idea of multi-club ownership yeah. models which is one of the big ideas right so basically just conglomerates and um, a lot of US money loves this idea yeah. because they've been doing bits of it at home where you have an NFL team an NBA team blah blah blah, blah an MLS team and you'll have a network a sports network and you'll own the stadiums so you know you you create a little kind of you know mini a mini conglomerate i mean they're not many some of them they're huge so fsg of course you know have have a baseball team and an ice hockey team and the cronkies have everything so we're seeing that already now when we're you mentioned like the funds the arrival of the the, let's just do two 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 versions of them um the kind of north american institutional money it doesn't have to be north american but kind of institutional money they're buying small strategic stakes now i think that does pose issues because well there's conflicts of interest who's really in charge here it makes things murky and i think we're 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 getting to some of these debates right now and um you know uefa has this rule that if you own two clubs if you control two clubs they can't both play in the same competition. It's a really straightforward, obvious rule. I think most people can get their head around the, the issues there. Red Bull was the famous test case um, with Leipzig and, and Salzburg. They kind of fudged it and got around it somehow. But it took, you know, it was it was a, it was a row. We're getting close to that being quite a common row, to be honest. Um, so th- that's the issue there. And of course, the other type of fund is sovereign wealth funds, right? Nation states that has brought a whole different level of complexity to the whole market and how from an FF point to sort of tie it back to FFP how with PSG and Man City being the two obvious cases and I think Newcastle going forward but those two have been like this sort of long-running row how do you treat their sponsors from 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 Qatar and UAE right are they genuinely benchmarked commercial deals in the same way that Man United chat to Chevrolet or TeamViewer or whatever it is. Is a company saying, hello, we like the look of you. We think putting our name on your shirt is going to reach this many people and we're willing to pay this much because that's the going rate. Or is it one branch of a government saying to another branch of the government, we need this number to meet our FFP number. That's how much you have to, you know, you know I've simplified it, but that's, 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 that's the Man City story, right? And it's an endless debate. So that's the complexity there. And yes, it has made things really, really hard. What are the deterrents? Are they are they strong enough? Because fi- finally, on this, I, w- I would suggest that fans will just shrug 
to a certain extent because they know that even if rules are broken and clubs do do wrong, that the punishments are minimal. And people might look at the big clubs here, but we, we've seen that. We've seen evidence of teams getting promoted from the championship having broken various financial rules there and they'll get a small fine for doing it because that actually and when I say small it's relative because they've got 100 million for getting promoted so they, they don't lose the the promotion fans feel that punishments may not be enough I think and clubs will always find a way around it yes uh, is, is is your answer to all of that uh, and I completely understand so so just on your EFL Premier League example that, that's a classic case of sort of different jurisdictions. So clubs that get promoted that would have breached EFL rules if they hadn't got promoted, and it's it sometimes come down to the playoff final, right? So a real mm. sliding door moment. They're not punished at all because they go on to Premier League rules and the Premier League, the, the loss was allowable. And then and then fine, you're right, the Premier League money starts to flow. Nearly all of them make money and nearly all of them make a profit in their first year in the Premier League. Problem over. So there's a classic case of, oh my word, just a jurisdiction issue. Now, just, just to remind, this is the sort of story that just, as you say, goes over fans' heads. Even under those old UEFA rules, which I sort of suggested weren't that, te- you know, weren't, weren't that significant, some clubs got punished last year. Some quite big clubs, PSG, Marseille, Monaco, Juve, AC, Inter, they failed. They failed the, um, the break-even rule and they got fined, but they only have to pay 15% of it. So there you go. So, that, so, so PSG got fined 60 million euros. They've only got to pay 10 million euros because it's all, it's sort of, it goes, uh, well, we've signed an agreement. You kind of, we had a chat about it. So here's your fine. The rest is all suspended for good behavior, blah, 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 blah. So PSG for about the second, third time, I lose track sometimes, uh, uh, breached that, that rule. Um, well, and it's not even a fine. It's the thing, it's not even a fine. It's deducted from the money that UEFA give them. So talk about, that, that then just becomes the cost of doing business, doesn't it? It becomes the cost of doing, it's a luxury tax. PSG will go, yeah, we breached it. We've got the highest wage bill in Europe. My word. I mean, this is, so I'm racing ahead to my point but, here. And that is, everyone is worried and alarmed about um, the Premier League's financial muscle. It's obvious. You look at the numbers, you're like, oh my word, this is it's, it's worrying. But at the moment, it hasn't really translated into an era of domination on the pitch because Real have carried on being Real. PSG have carried on being PSG. Bayern haven't gone away. The Premier League's clubs look really healthy. And you're right, the 15th best team in the Premier League can now outbid the third or second best team in whatever, right? But it's not translated into that true era of domination where you really, or everyone goes, oh, wow, uh, we've totally lost the competitive balance here. Will it? I don't know. Maybe it hasn't happened yet. It's a model, isn't it? I mean, it is the the whole the whole situation is a model, as as we've kind of illustrated throughout throughout the podcast. Do you see any way that it stops being a model, Dan? With UEFA's new rules, it's going to take until twenty twenty five, as Matt's already explained, for those to kind of kick in properly. So then you're looking well, maybe once that's kicked in, then do you wait another couple of years to see? see how it all plays out. So then you're thinking, well, five years down the line, we might have an idea of of what these rules are going to mean and you know whether the Premier League will have new rules by then too. But again, it'll, you'd imagine they'd wean anything in because it, it'd be too sudden just to go, bang, here's your new rules. Now you will have to abide by them. Um, so no, I think it's going to stay muddled for, for quite some time. To be fair to UEFA, right, with these new rules that they announced last year, they actually announced a sort of table of 
potential punishments and it's graduated, right? So if you fail a little bit, you're probably looking at a fine. If you fail a bit more, we're going to start talking about sporting sanctions, right? So suddenly people's ears pick up, right? Oh, hold on. Fans, you should be listening now. Sporting sanctions. And actually the, the move of the Champions League to that league table, which again, we've talked about that Swiss model, does actually play into this quite nicely. So if Club X blows the 70% by a mile, 80%, 85% over, and maybe loses six points, nine points, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see how they start to sort of, you know, dish the, dish the penalties out. Or has a, some sort of uh, limit on the, the size of their squad or, you know, that, that sort of thing, kind of a, a combination of measures. Yeah, maybe behaviour will change. If you are not progressing in the Champions League because you've been docked points, that might happen. And then, of course, the, you know, the, the, the sort of nuclear option, well, we will ban you. you know, if, you, if you're blowing it by bloody miles and you're not listening to us and you keep doing it, you, you can't play in the Champions League. And every single big club in Europe, wherever you are, cares about that. Matt, Dan, thank you very much. Plenty more from the pair of them on this subject on The Athletic now plus all the latest transfer lines uh, from the likes of uh, David Ornstein. If you're not already a subscriber, uh, you can take advantage of this offer at the moment, £1.99 a month for the first 12 months. Just go to theathletic.com slash football pod. Thanks for listening. The Athletic.